Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Podcast Weekly Roundup. I'm joined as ever uh, this week by Liam Breen, and we're going to run the rule over the URC action uh, last weekend. How are things, Liam, uh, first and foremost, before we get into this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Good weekend. Good weekend all, all round. So uh, the URC is hotting up big time now. Massively. Playoffs are really intensifying, and I think the organisers must be uh, really thrilled with how things are kind of coming up here. But again, marquee headlines, and this is what we're going to probably focus on, ladies and gentlemen, next 50 minutes. Really reviewing uh, the Leinster rugby win over Munster 1934 at Towan Park, securing the bonus point win. Connacht securing a very much a morale-boosting win over Benetton in Italy. Uh, 21-17 and Ulster Rugby had their moments against the Bulls first half but then were I think blown away a bit in third quarter by a rampant Bulls and 19,000 crowd in South Africa 34-16. I suppose without further ado Liam, uh let's kind of look at Tolan Park. Myself and you uh, like we've supported Munster Rugby all our lives passionate loyal rugby supporters but I've never felt so down and a little bit depressed in terms of a result than I had um last Saturday night, immediately after uh, the 34-19 loss. What were your initial thoughts, uh, maybe, Liam? Maybe we go to team selection first. Because for me, I felt it was an opportunity lost in terms of maybe some team selections there from Van Grand and management. Yeah, I mean, it was inevitable because of the selection policy pre-match. It was almost inevitable. When you looked at it, honestly, anyone who was anti about rugby would have said, not a chance, not a chance at home for Munster. And... That has hardly ever happened to us since Munster had been on a professional keel in, in the game. Um, so it was an opportunity lost, I guess, you know, in, in terms of selection, in terms of, for me, like Hodden, it would be like like a nailed on guy anyway, pretty much at this stage. Also, opportunity lost at Hooker. You could say certainly Casey as well um, at, at, at Scrum Half. You know, the... I even was kind of saying to myself, okay, you know, you're going to have Nash there, you're going to have Gallagher, you're going to have Daly and all these guys, and they're just going to be like, you know, put out of position as well. So that that was a worry beforehand, anyway. I definitely thought it was an opportunity lost. I thought, yeah, Chris Cloyate, he announced during the week that he was leaving about rugby, you know, great servant. I'll miss the guy enormously. But I think backup strategy wise, I think insurance policy, have him on the bench or something. But I think it was an opportunity, and I saw it with Leinster as well. I thought Leinster played this very well. I thought the O'Cullen and management played it absolutely on point. They did integrate some marquee players, but they also rewarded players that had impressed in recent weeks, particularly in that Six Nations kind of run of games. So you still saw the likes of Jimmy O'Brien. Mentioned him last week. Again, he has been given ample opportunity and support in these full-blooded Irish provincial games to really express himself. I mean, Dunn at second row, I thought it was absolutely outstanding. Ned Byrne, he'd various guys like that, and he still had a monster bench to come on if need be. I mean, that insurance policy, and I thought maybe Munster maybe missed a trick or two a little bit in terms of that. And yeah, but uh, I suppose we go to the game here, uh, Liam, and you can't fault Munster Rugby's effort here. From 1 to 23, they put their bodies on the line week in, week out. But the record with Johan van Graan against Leinster, two wins out of 12. I don't think we can even consider this a, a rivalry anymore, can we, Liam? Just in terms of, you know, a rivalry is supposed to be a 50-50 toss-up contest. It 
just hasn't felt like this in many a year. And I mean, in fairness to Leinster, got some easy points from penalties that were conceded by Munster. And again, if you're going to set up a field position, no better team from Leinster than to finally secure tries eventually. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's it, you're, you're actually right there. It's, it's not like a rivalry. Right? Quite frankly, now I would even go so far as to say it's like a, a 11 times out of 10, Leinster are going to beat Munster, you know? That's how inevitable it's gotten at this stage. We've never, we've never like had a chance in the games. Like we, we've, we've, we've lost 12, 15 point defeats in those games. So we've never, we've never even been at the races. And in this game, like, you know, we're talking about the first half. As good as, as Munster played some rugby in that first half. Again, Leinster just kept the scoreboard ticking over with those like needless penalties conceded. And then, you know, Leinster were going to have a purple patch probably in the second half as well. And so Munster, I guess, was needed to have a good bit of a lead built up by uh, half time, which it didn't have, unfortunately. They were just about in there at half time and then they conceded a penalty as well. Yeah. That was a complete ball break from Munster. Now, breakdown work officiating. I think it was a bit non-existent. We probably go to Gavin Coombs' incident in a while, but it's a very good article from Duncan Casey and the Irish Examiner on Monday and makes for very sorry reading for Munster's sake. Second highest penalty count in the league, uh, Lima Green. Only Zebri is behind us. We have 138 penalties conceded. And I mean, if you're an officiator, if you're a guy from the Gallagher Premiership and you're looking at stats, I think this is a key stat that you're coming into this game, probably having a bit of a conception about Munster. And I mean, what's he paying the first four penalties that Ross, uh, Ross Byrne has basically sat it over? An offside, Rook basically killed the ball, another offside, and then I thought the ball break was 12-11 up. Carberry had slotted over a few nice uh, scores. A late hit from Finney and Witcherly gives Byrne the opportunity then to basically put Leinster in front. I thought it was a psychological blow there. If they could go in at halftime, Munster maybe it could readjust, but Leinster in at halftime, and then they literally, I thought they toyed with Munster a bit in their attacking play. I mean, pack exchanges basically executed their face play very well, but I thought this was a team selection from Leinster that were looking to create attacking with, whereas Munster were a team selection that they were afraid to lose this match, and so proved with uh, Lowe and Jimmy O'Brien being very prominent in that second half. Yeah, and uh, like let's be honest, they did pick up the pace there from the like whatever 45, 46 minutes for that fifteen minutes afterwards, and the game was over. Low, yeah, got in the in in the left there, and then Jimmy O'Brien. I must say, he had a lot to do just to finish his own try. To he he stood up and uh, he yeah, it was good finish by him as well. Um, I suppose after good work by by Ringrose as well, who had a smashing game as well. I suppose really you could say he stepped in well actually. O'Brien did. And then Delende yeah, try, and then Low finished it inevitably as well. So that was the end. That was the end again. Yeah, I mean the tries itself felt sorry a bit for Nash. Felt a little bit sorry for Daly. Felt a little bit sorry for Gallagher because they had massive defensive reads to concentrate and to answer during that 80 minutes. Kind of was pretty incessant in that second and third quarter, and uh, you know, literally the support work of Leinster, I thought it was outstanding. The ball carriers having multiple options to um, offload if need be, and I thought that try for Jimmy O'Brien there was some great hands there from Leinster. I mean, you could see with Munster, I mean Carberry, you know, he's hitting the line, but nothing is very convincing in terms of the the line speed. You know, trying to create a line break. God, Delende didn't get any good fast go forward ball at all. Same with Farrell. 
I mean, these are key games here. Again, we're, we're just unable to figure out how to get our big ball carriers involved in the games. But I thought the Jimmy O'Brien try was absolutely exquisite, as you say. I think a few people have been critical of Conor Murray, but that was a magnificent step off Jimmy O'Brien. He still had meant plenty to do when he bypassed Murray. And Murray's no slouch, like in terms of his defensive reads, consistently with the British and Irish Lions, Munster, Ireland. He always bails your side up. But, I mean, I thought the step was just absolutely phenomenal. And, again, another guy, another back. I remember Jordan Larmer in these games literally creating a household name for himself. I think Jimmy O'Brien has probably done that a little bit last Saturday as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, Liam, looking at it and the aftermath of this game, I mean, Van Graan's comments were, look, we, uh, we did as much as we could. Had to applaud Leinster. But, I mean, the injuries that have come out of this, Liam, have been quite significant, particularly in our pack. Uh, what's your kind of viewpoint, uh, kind of viewing uh, into uh, extra chiefs of Sandy Park next Saturday? Oh, it's 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 a bit devastating, really. You know, with Coombs out and Killer and Burn, that's our three main ball carriers in the pack on. So, like, that's that's an awful lot of attacking f- physical power that's just eliminated immediately. And you don't want that when you're going to somewhere like Exeter Chiefs and Sandy Park, of all places. Yeah, it means it means that some of the the guys are going to get picked again. That's this is what this is what I think is going to happen now. They're probably going to end up picking Claude again um, and and having treadbare options then in in the second row as well. So you still hope for that that we're going to change our selection policy for next week as well. You'd kind of hope so, at uh, least to a certain extent. I think Combs particularly. He did have a strong second quarter before he had to retire hurt. I mean, side entry all day long. I don't know how the referee misses that in the breakdown. But again, it was indicative of the way this game was being officiated, I'm afraid. And uh, yeah, Leinster were kind of adjusting very well. And I think that was maybe a sore point for me from Munster Rugby that we were just frankly not able to adjust to the officiating style here. Gallagher Premiership officiating versus URC or versus European. It's very different in terms of the intensity, particularly around the breakdown um, breakdown battle. Um, he let an awful lot of things go. Uh, Leinster, kudos to them. But uh, as you say, Gleam, I think team selection is going to be it's going to be an interesting one. It should be an interesting one. I think several players here really haven't done themselves any justice after last Saturday night, to be perfectly fair. And I think there needs to be changes here. But then... How drastic can you go, particularly in the pack? I mean, expertise, very pack-orientated side. You can't really throw the kitchen sink, really, out here. I mean, we're now kind of on bare bones here. I mean, Jenkins is going to have to start again, hasn't he? Uh, quite clearly. Uh, you know, he got 55 minutes into him uh, last weekend. I mean, it was fine. You know, it wasn't too, you know, outstanding or bad-like. But, I mean, he's going to have to build up his fitness. I mean, he's going to have to have, have one powerful game on next Saturday against the uh, extra chiefs. Otherwise I think we want to stay in this tie going back to Tom park. I mean, the front five, I think really is going to be put under the mic- microscope a bit uh, on Saturday. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, yeah, look, look I mean, Jenkins should start. And he, he should get his 55, 60 minutes. There's, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that, but we, you know, we're going to have to think a bit tactically as well in terms of what front row that we actually have starting and what we bring on we're probably going to have to bring on a, a, a more powerful front row you know than, than we've had up to now so like I, I'd be kind of looking at like you know do you bring on Scannell and leave him on the bench 
do you again like try and go with with Archer and and have Ryan on the bench and have those two kind of as, as impact guys on the 60 minute mark? That's what I'd be thinking anyway. Yeah, and loose head as well kind of is worrying me a little bit as well. But I mean, you've Lockman, you've Witchley there as well. I mean, horses for courses here though. I mean. Who do you go for? Probably pointing probably to Lockman a little bit, given his experience, but, you know, Witcherly hasn't done a whole foot wrong. And I think that was another disappointment aspect for me from the team selection was that certain young guys actually put up the hand up in the South African trip under very extreme circumstances in the Bulls and also against the Lions. Did relatively well. And then to be told then on during the week that they weren't involved, that was maybe a little bit of a slap in the face with a few of them. But uh, I think the hooker situation as well might be uh, one where... Do you go Barron? You know, do you go Scott Buckley? Scannell really hasn't really been pulling trees out for me this season. Um, again, this is the business of crunch end of the season. I mean, hard calls have to be made, but I just didn't feel with that team selection last week, certain people got into the team. And to be honest, it was showing up. It was showing up with the form and the performance that was produced. I think an awful lot of guys were a little bit, yeah, under par. And against a side like Lancer, you just can't be doing that. So... I suppose as well, 10 position here, uh, Liam. I mean, Carberry, great off the tee. Tacking wise, what were your feelings in terms of his performance? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, again, you, you can always say with the halfbacks, it's a kind of um, ball they're present, presented with in the four, the four, whatever they're presented with. But for me, yeah, Healy, probably now, I, I, I would say we need a bit more attacking uh in the outside half channel and I, I think he just simply has it and uh I, I i think at this stage in terms of if we're picking on form you would have to have healy over carberry mm. yeah, i mean crowley comes into that debate as well here Liam. you know it could be one that's prime and ready for jack crowley to kind of come in and impress you know his game management his good kicking game um out of hand I thought Carberry looked a little bit more comfortable when he went back to fullback. Gallagher was taken off, and then Carberry came in at 15 and started to do kind of nice things. So, I mean, if Haley doesn't make it, there's another decision poser. You know, in fairness to Gallagher, he had a tour of time, but I think it was players around him. I mean, there's so many questions here. I mean, it's not where Leinster come in against Connacht and they're now wondering who to drop, you know, because all the guys are top of the ground. I mean, from a Munster rugby perspective, Quite a few marquee players really had off nights, and now you're kind of asking the question a bit against Exeter Chiefs Sandy Park, which is going to be a tough place to go. Do you really plumb for these guys, hoping for a performance more so than a performance actually being delivered at the weekend? So, I think for, I don't envy Van Gran, Larkham, and also Roundtree to a certain extent. I think the team selection is going to be quite difficult because I think you know the video analysis is probably made for very very sore viewing, particularly on Monday. So, but yeah, and I mean, the overall perspective here for Munster Rugby, I know, apologies, ladies and gentlemen, we've kind of been rolling here in terms of Munster Rugby, but organisationally wise, we still have no indication of who the head coach actually will be. And there's no real indication so late in the season attacking coach, you know, backroom staff wise. I thought that would be clarified by now. It just seems as if we're kind of sleepwalking a little bit into the, the end of the season. Not really secured many acquisitions, but some players we're going to talk about later in the podcast leaving uh, to go past this new. But, I mean, Liam, it's all very worrying here. I mean, just from top to bottom, it just just 
doesn't have a feel good factor at the moment here. No, I mean, I mean, there, there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't have had our our coaching ticket announced weeks ago. What we're hearing now is that, that you know that it was Milton Haig as director of rugby and Noel McNamara as backs coach, and now the rumor is that like Contepomi is going to leave Leinster and Noel McNamara will go will go there, you know. But like, I mean, what is the delay? I've absolutely no idea what the delay is. And that creates more unease as well among the squad. And then we have, of course, have a situation where, you know, again, I know Clotet was was uh, a great servant to Munster Rugby, but, you know, it, and, and there are basically poaching that was done uh, of a signing for undermining, I suppose, the, the Munster team and the Munster squad by Van Gran signing him as well, while still Munster coach. And then, we, you know, we still don't really know, as you pointed out, in a lot of positions, who's our number one player. We don't really have, not very tactically astute as well. It's just, oh, our home game seems to be actually dissolving, really, this time. Yeah, I, I, I do agree on certain points there. I think the Van Gran era is reaching its conclusion, but even starting back to that absolute shithouse apologies for the language but in terms of how that was announced when he was confirmed as Bath rugby head coach i think from then on it is kind of unraveled gradually i think we're going to see a kind of quite quick unravel here if things aren't really shored up very quickly i mean heaven forbid here clean a heavy loss against extra at sandy park european season's done and then you're probably looking hopefully to get a result in their last three games to really secure a top eight spot. I mean, that's not where Munster Rugby or Munster Rugby fans want to be. But it is a reality right now. I think it's just the instability that that has caused has caused reputable damage in terms of recruitment, infrastructural plans. All that sort of stuff has really been thrown in the air due to this Van Grand departure and this delay in this head coaching ticket and backroom. Like, players sitting on the fence a little bit in terms of deciding which rugby clubs they were going to sign. Obviously, Munster was probably one of them, but you can't really commit if you're a player, an agent or a representative of that player, simply because you just don't know who the head coach is or who the attacking coach is. Will they have the same ethos and vision that you have? Or defensively, or pack forward coach. I think it's, yeah, it's, I think Ian Flanagan and the board really need to kind of urgently address a few off-field stuff quite urgently. Because it really unsettled the, the Munster fans that I've spoken to after the game. Um, really, it's a little bit unnerving. It was very unnerving there the last 20 minutes, particularly against Leinster, because you could see Leinster brought on the big guns. But I mean, the game was well and truly over that stage thing. It wasn't as if we hadn't seen this before, hadn't seen the script. It was just the conservative game plan. Again, the tacking conviction wasn't there in terms of quick rough ball, not really identifying our key runners getting the, the game line breaks. And I think Combs, to a certain extent, was probably a guy that was probably a loss. But I think overall, is he going to one player going to really kind of uh, contribute to an overall result? Probably not. So I think from that perspective, not good. And then, you know, squad departures, do we have reinforcements to come in? That is questionable. So I think congratulations to Leinster. I think they're on an upward trajectory again. I think their squad depth is phenomenal. But again, it's showing how they're blooding in these new guys in t- key marquee fixtures. That's not, you know, 
emphasize the fact they were able to give the confidence to the young guys to know that they were capable of producing a performance, whereas our Van Gran and the management didn't have any trust in their underage academy and guys that have bailed Munster out in certain parts of the season, which I feel is very disappointing. And I think an awful lot of questions. And I think, unfortunately, some home truths are coming up a little bit earlier for Munster than maybe anticipated. But uh, maybe we can move on here, Liam, uh, just in terms of Connacht and Ulster, quite briefly. I mean, we asked last week for Connacht to give a response ahead of that two-legged last 16 affair with uh, Leinster Rugby, starting this Friday night in the sports crowd. And to be fair, Connacht, they were 17-14 down 11 minutes to go, but all credit to Connacht, pulled it out of the bag. After a good start, good opening half, they pulled it out of the bag and got a very um, much-required win. Yeah, I mean, look, they had a good open 20 minutes, didn't they? I mean, like, it's two good tries. First try, Keane Prendergast, he basically, he could have passed outside to, to Halloran, but he, he kept going himself. Then we had Niall Murray crashing over. And, yeah, I mean, at that stage, like, you know, you're halfway through a bonus point, and to be honest, in Italy, that's what you should be going for. Like, you know, you probably get your bonus point. But, yeah, I, they came back powerfully in the second half, um, Benetton. And 17-14, you know, going to the last five minutes. So you have to say huge credit to Connacht. It was a game that in in recently they, they probably could have lost just on confidence alone, you know. Um, but they got over the line. They got the, the three tries scored, the win by seven. And um, it's, it's it's keeping their season going, basically. Absolutely, it keeps it ticking along. I mean, Paul Boyle, press conference this week, Evan Leinster, really, they're kind of honing in on the Leinster games. They're, they're kind of marquee fixtures now, but they needed a win. I mean, they leaked 101 points. Timely reminder, because they had leaked 101 points in URC action in the last two fixtures, one away to Edinburgh and then the home loss to Leinster. Now you can say that's distorted by Tom Daly's already sending off, but I mean, there were kind of maybe a few kind of gremlins there when Padovani went over on four six minutes and then Hala Fifi, literally great match from him. 62 metres, two turnovers. You know, when he goes over, you're thinking, oh, here we go again. Connacht's rugby's record in Benetton isn't great. But in fairness to Connacht and the pack, Pat Murray was absolutely outstanding as well in the second row and his cameo. But, I mean, they built the phases, got the composure and, you know, scored a decisive try. I mean, Mac Hansen as well, I thought, led by example. Finley Bealham as well. So those internationals coming back in were huge. They provided much leadership. I think Hansen's defensive work was absolutely outstanding. But I suppose it's the key stat here for me. And I suppose Andy Friend has probably been kind of looking at this. The missed tackle count. 21 missed tackles from both Benetton and Connacht during the 80 minutes. That simply is not going to wash against Leinster. Particularly this Friday night in the sports ground. So... And the penalty count was 18-10 as well, uh, 18 penalties for Connacht as well. So, And that kind of coincided with Benetton coming back into it, particularly in that third quarter lean. So, I mean, it was a much morale-boosting win. We've kind of asked for a response, and uh, they certainly got it. I mean, I think it's an outside chance of top eight here, Liam, fair to agree. But at least they have a win under their belt. There's a bit of confidence going in against Leinster. And I think for me personally here, Liam, I think it's a free hit for Connacht. All the pressure's on Leinster rugby, given the fixtures, how things have gone in recent weeks. I think for Connick, just to express themselves and see how things go. I mean, two-legged affair and uh, see how the cookie crumbles, really. Yeah, I, I give them a chance, actually, funny enough, when you have the likes of uh, Bealham and, and Aki coming back in. Yeah, uh, full-strength Connick side 
can give it a right a right whelp off them. Um, I suppose, and the thing is too, like realistically, look at their fixtures. They are out really of the URC. I would say at this stage, I would say probably like tenth, ninth, tenth. So like you know, for some teams, you could almost tactically be saying, you know, how do we manage a two-legged affair? But they should just go all out um, and get the get the victory and keep it alive for a second leg. Absolutely, I think. You know, and I hope Andy Friend. I think the Connacht teams are really embracing this this week. I think Paul Boyle's comments, particularly what I heard from Morning Ireland, was very pleasing. But they're really kind of focused in on their own performance. They know what to expect from Leicester Rugby, but they're not going to let them deter that in terms of their performance. I think there's motivation plenty after what happened uh, in the previous round with Tom Daly sending off. And again, there were some good parts to that game for Connacht Rugby, but it's that consistent 80 minutes uh, that will be the key. And the two-legged affair, as we kind of spoke about, and we'll talk about the previews in due course here, Liam, they're going to take a life of its own here. I mean, it would be lovely for Connacht to get the win in the sports ground and put a little bit of pressure on Leinster particularly. But really, it's performance first, results second, I would think, here from Connacht. And I think, you know, let's hope for... Uh, the two teams play an absolute superb brand of rugby. It'd be great to see a bit of fireworks in the sports ground, plenty of tries, that sort of thing. And have this second leg in the RDS really kind of come to the crescendo so well done to Connacht Rugby and then Ulster Ulster concluded their South African trip now after the kind of the the lows of the previous weekend with the controversial try that was not given the URC head official having to basically apologize to Ulster for that last minute gaffe did it go to the Loftus Versfeld Liam we feared that this result probably would have happened but in fairness to Ulster for the first half there were some promising moments there but ultimately Bulls did take over in the second half and were deserving winners. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, look, they, they, they got their first big crowd of the season as well. Every, the momentum is is absolutely with them now. Madosh Tambway crashed over, right? See, he's a serious quality player. They need to get him a passport quickly and Kurtley Arense as well. And the, the, in the pack, like, just their, their, their mauling game is just outstanding. Uh, Grobler is so, so powerful. Um, Kutsia has has had a brilliant season all round, like, you know, just very hard to stop. I think it's just indicative of the South African teams at the moment, aren't they? They're really coming in top of the ground now, heading into the playoffs. You can see that momentum has been built, particularly when the Bulls played Munster. I thought that was a key win for the Bulls. You can see it wasn't perfect. They would be the first to admit that they were very startled by Munster Rugby's reaction uh, in the second half to really kind of press and get a loser bonus point when they were such in the ascendancy. But I think with Ulster, I mean, Nathan Doak, there were some fantastic penalty kicks to get a 9-3 lead at halftime. It was being very evenly contested here, Liam, but as you say, that pack for the Bulls is absolutely a ferocious unit when it gets going. Uh, it could, uh, again, you know, really, you know, stamping his authority on the game with that early try in the second half. Tamway, my God, phenomenal. I mean, an absolute physicality of the player to kind of crash over. I don't know, if, was that Mike Lowry that tried to tackle him? But I mean... He was Mike Lowry, yeah. Yeah, my was. God, it was just literally mm. men against boys there a little bit. And then Grobelar with the, the mall. Now, with the Grobelar mall, we have to kind of get to the Karen Treadwell incident and Kutsi as well. So there was two sin bins here. And I mean, I don't know what your viewpoint was here, Liam, particularly on the Treadwell one, because I mean, it was 2016 here. Marshall gets a nice try for 
Ulster to get them back into it. I mean, it was about maybe 20, 25 minutes left. What was your reading of that Treadwell, Simbin? Didn't look much in terms it of real time. It was a bit harsh, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, it was like, if you're, if, you're, if you're given a card, you wouldn't give it for that, you know? That's, that's, that's for sure. Like, it, it did seem, you know, in real time, it seemed very innocuous. I mean, yeah, maybe he's a little bit high, but I didn't think there was much impact to the player. And I think the best reaction or the best gauge is the Bulls players really didn't react. They went to the breakdown, broke ball, created a new phase of play. And it was only just the referee then blowing it up after two or three phases. I thought it was, yeah, it was one of those 50-50. I mean, you know, letter to law. But again, what's... Where's the mitigation and all that sort of stuff now? You know, if you heard us last week, we were talking about mitigation for all the wrong reasons. But uh, and then I thought the one of note was probably Kutsu's one. You know, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, I mean, he gets the tackle all wrong. It's high. I mean, I think the referee has kind of um, he's kind of made the decision himself after the Treadwell one, and he's given a yellow card. But I thought that was a little bit more serious than Treadwell's, to be perfectly fair to. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could certainly argue red for that, couldn't you? I mean, like there was there was no there was no mitigating factors as 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 we call them for for that particular incident, and you know that gain another crucial you know car decision against an Irish team in South Africa, you know, and, uh, and and this this is definitely becoming a bit of an issue now, considering that this is the, this is the fine margins now between the the Irish teams actually going to the top of the table and the South Africans following up behind them. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Liam, on this occasion anyway, I think the Treadwell one was probably a key decisive moment because immediately after Morning Stain basically puts the ball in within five metres and then Grobler and his uh, Bulls colleagues pack and three quarters all barrel over and it kind of opens the game up a bit. Uh, now, in fairness, Toaster refused to he refused to give in, essentially. And I think it was kind of an induct looking to create a little bit of depth and he was intercepted by Renze, who literally, just literally... He strolled in, but the pace of the guy is just phenomenal. I mean, more impressive stats, 119 metres, one try, obviously, with the intercept. But they have massive threats to Bulls. You can see it in terms of the Stormers as well, the Lions, uh, the Sharks as well. It's a good news story for the league, I would think, the fledgling league, that we're seeing the South African teams are now coming on the rail here. And I think, I think particularly for the likes of Munster, it could be an early few weeks in the last regular season because I think with rankings, top eight qualify for the playoff series and top eight for the European Champions Cup. But again, it looks as if the South African teams here will probably finish up pretty high, at least three of them. So I think from a playoffs perspective here, Liam, it's going to be a fascinating watch here for the last three rounds of uh, the, the regular season. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it really actually looks as if the Stormers will be will be will be second seeds on the log, you know, and then with the talk of the actual URC final being in South Africa, you could you could easily see South Africans actually sneak it, like by say someone like the Stormers or the Bulls actually beating Leinster at home to win the whole thing. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean. If you think about it, you know, it's been good in terms of conference, you know, that you'll guarantee one conference team, per se, in the playoffs. But, I mean, beside the point here, Dean, I think, as you say, home field advantage for South Africa, particularly at the end of the season. 
I suppose Leinster rugby here will have um, European Cup ambitions as well. So let's say argument's sake that they do beat Connacht in a two-legged affair. Then it gets into the quarterfinals. They're scheduled to go down to South Africa as well during that period. How does Leo Cullen and the management actually deal with that? I mean, it is it is a fair assessment here. And it could lead up to some fascinating quarterfinals and semi-final fixtures. Yeah, not if it runs a possibility here that we could see a South African finalist at least. And as I say, could be an outside shot for two if um, literally how fixtures go, injuries, suspensions, that sort of thing, European commitments for Leinster rugby, particularly or Ulster. But so, yeah, it's um, evenly poised. But I mean, I think it's great for the brand of URC down there, 19,000 in the Loftus Fairfield. It was a great crowd, great atmosphere, and it should only increase with the, the way the South African teams have uh, surged back up the table in previous rounds. So congratulations to the Bulls. I know the Lions was a full sweep uh, again for the South African teams this round, but I mean, it's good for the league. I mean, it shows the competitiveness of it now. There's not, not going to be any easy games going into the last uh, three rounds, which for a tournament organiser, you could only dream of at the start of the season, given the COVID and the pandemic. So, Liam, with that, uh, I suppose before we go to the European Champions Cup, I mean, we can probably talk about some player contract renewals and some retirements as well. Maybe we start straight off the bat with Leinster Rugby today. Uh, when we've recorded Dan Levy uh, announcing his retirement from uh, professional rugby. I mean, Dan Levy, what an outstanding player. I mean, I feel so sorry for the guy in terms of having to retire so early. What were your thoughts when you heard of that retirement announcement today? Oh, so sad for him, like, because in 17 and certainly in 2018, he reached levels of play for an outside flanker that I don't think any Irish player has reached to be honest about it that that's how good he was you know he was a he was certainly uh one of those rare kind of mongrel type back row forwards that we had i sometimes think you know him not being at the world cup in in 19 was as much uh, of a difference as us not 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 getting any further you know i think that was that was how how good he was um and i kind of compared him in a way to richie mccall he had he had that sort of presence, that physical presence about him as well, that like refusal to yield, almost like you know. Uh, so yeah, uh, twenty-seven years old. Wow, um, what an impact he's had. But um, I was always hoping when he came back from injury that he would regain his previous levels. But let's be honest about it; he was like probably third choice uh, for entry this season, and uh, sad to see that's the end of his career. Yeah, for a 27-year-old in the prime of his life and his fitness, sporting career, to have to call it quits, it just kind of says something about the injury that he sustained. I mean, but I think we go back to 2018, I think, as you say, height of his powers. I think Peter O'Mahony has spoke very eloquently today about Dan Levy, just in terms of his impact, even around that 2018 squad. You know, being such a young guy then, but was one of the leaders there, wasn't he? He just literally... As you say, the physicality, complete all-rounder, superb ball carrier, some of the running lines, his intelligence with the ball, his defensive reads, top-notch. It really just goes to show the Leinster conveyor belt. If that was Connacht, Munster, Ulster, losing a player like that, we'd be devastated. We'd be kind of looking for, oh, where's our next guy? He's probably coming in four or five years. But the fact of the matter is, look who's arrived. And we didn't say it, but like the back row for Leinster on Saturday night was nothing short of sensational. You've Conan there, obviously, at eight. You've Caelan Doris, Josh van der Fleer, Scott Penny, 
You know, Josh Murphy has to go to the Connacht next season to get game time. You know, that conveyor belt, they're just literally churning these guys out with such quality. But, I mean, Dan Levy was probably, you know, the blueprint for an awful lot of these guys coming up, you know. And it's just terribly sad, really. And I hope Dan Levy doesn't leave rugby, you know, that he gets involved. And I know Leinster Rugby will support him in whatever he needs to do. But to get a guy of that magnitude in terms of that skill set and back row operator, I think there'd be plenty of clubs looking for him in terms of his skill set, his nous, his experience. Um, might be an avenue there for him, but a looking marvellous player, and it's heartbreaking to kind of hear that uh, today. We wish Dan all the best here, uh, Liam, uh, just in terms of his next future career plans. But, yeah, an awful shock today to hear that. And, uh, yeah, look, Lance Rugby, being Lance Rugby, they'll support him whatever he needs to do uh, properly. And, yeah, sad to, sad, to, sad to hear. And from a Munster Rugby perspective, I suppose it'll be two kind of marquee departures we talked about this whole instability about the head coach and the backroom staff. Now, this kind of manifests itself with loyal servants that are now leaving to go elsewhere. And, I mean, we mentioned about Chris Cloyte. Uh, I mean, outstanding servant. I mean, mentioned on Twitter in terms of the five magnificent years of service coming in from when he did on a short-term contract to becoming a very firm home favourite. And now, obviously, we have Cork native John Ryan as well. We'd heard rumours regarding uh, the tight head props uh, contract situation probably at the start of the year. We just didn't know where he was going to end up next season. But again, Chris Toyte going to bat rugby. John Ryan going to Wasps. So, I mean, two Gallagher Premiership clubs. And I think to be fairly, that these two Premiership clubs are getting probably two astute signings. Would you not agree? Yeah, they certainly are. Absolutely. I mean, proven performers in, in, in European level. Um, I have to say I'm, I'm extremely worried <laughs> about the departure of John Ryan. Um, literally, we're treadbare at tight head prop right now. We were mentioning before this about Roman Salanoa, like if he ever actually got going uh, outside of injury, he'd be he'd be a massive plus. But he's essentially you could say he's not there. Then we have Archer, and then we have the South African Knox, who again, to my mind. I just don't think he's really stepped up to the plate, you know, at that level. So essentially, we have one, just one, tight end prop next season. Again, I mean, you, you'd have been hoping that if if Milton Hague is going to be in some way on the coaching ticket, director of rugby or whatever else is going to be assistant coach, that he could get some gnarly George <laughs> tight end prop. <laughs> you know, surely to God he could do something like that. But um, John Ryan, in terms of next season, again, I mean, we're, we're talking about the World Cup. He, you know, if 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 we kind of say come World Cup time, come come pre World Cup selection, he'd be an or viable option for for backup for Tyke Furlong because I think Marty Marty Moore at the moment is, is second in line, very much so after what he did for Ulster against Leinster two weeks ago. But certainly Ryan as well. And I don't care if he is playing abroad, you know. <laughs> you've yeah. got John Ryan, you've got Ollie Jager as well at the Crusaders. They have to be options as well. Let's be brutally honest. Like, Stephen Archer is 34 now. I mean, he'll be 35 in January 29th. I mean, longevity-wise, Stephen Archer has really shown it. But, I mean, you can't be really dependent on Stephen Archer all season. And Yeah, it is kind of worrying for me. Um, and for you as well, Liam, just in terms of that... <clears throat> that tight head prop uh, situation, like, I mean, John Ryan, obviously, looking at kind of the last kind of move, really. And I think this is going to invigorate him in terms of Wasps. I think Wasps is a superb rugby club. 
well run and he will relish that you know he mentioned in the press release in terms of uh, his excitement to go over there make an impact and contribute and look for silverware i think silverware was the key word there to really look to kind of strike on a bit so i think from that perspective from john ryan i'll miss him an outstanding performer for munster you know never let the side down particularly with ireland as well that 2018 grand slam as well he was kind of a prominent part and a superb scrummager you know, money can't buy scrummaging machines like uh, John Ryan. So, I mean, I'll be sad to see him going. And Chris Clothe, I think, just an outstanding servant for Munster. I don't know what you mentioned, Liam, but I mean, for Chris Clothe now, that's the last pay payday from a player's perspective. He needs to embrace that and to go to bat for rugby. And I would say, with Johan van Grand there, with uh, backroom staff that is going to bat rugby, I wouldn't be all surprised on the cards if Chris was to join that coaching ticket either towards the latter end of next season or the following season. I think as a back row operator, you have plenty to impart uh, there for sure. So I think from that perspective, there could be a coaching kind of angle to that as well. But, I mean, as we said here, it's time for the homegrown guys like O'Sullivan, Hodnett, Dillon, guys like that to really step up now in terms of that second role. So Chris did fill the gap magnificently well. But I think, you know, that that's it. I think everyone has their time. And I think... Chris is, will move on. Well, I think all the best wishes of everyone in Munster Rugby, to be perfectly fair and safe, John Ryan. But as you say, it is creating an awful lot of vacuum, an awful lot of radio silence within Munster Rugby in terms of their organisational hierarchy. It just doesn't bode well. And, you know, I'm, I'm worried as well, along with you, Liam, in terms of Archer. If Archer were to go down next season, where is our go-to? You know, particularly on that tight head position. I mean, it, it kind of looks to me as if Archer is the the incumbent, and he's going to. Is, is, is there is there a Mark Donnelly? Is is he one of the guys that we had in the the Wasps trip? Mark Donnelly, I think. Possibly. Yeah, I, I believe so, Liam. Uh, um, but uh, to be fair, it's kind of trusting guys in here. Um, you know, from that perspective. But again, these guys have to be given preseason. To be fair. You know, also, like said, Declan Moore, I suppose, was kind of offloaded as well, wasn't he? So, I mean, from that perspective, decisions have to be made in terms of squad now. I, I'm sincerely hoping Munster Rugby are scouring here in terms of the provincials, the club game, to see if there is tight head prop talent around, to see if we can literally unearth some gems here. Because obviously the professional club transfer window is pretty much done. People know where they're signing and playing for next season, so that's not an option. So now we're going to have to be creative in terms of the infrastructural grassroots to identify these new up-and-coming players. Obviously, the Green Court kind of comes into, Academy comes into, but again, it is very, very precarious at the moment, I think, for Munster uh, on a few fronts, particularly on that front row and also front uh, front five as a whole, because we're kind of seeing that gradual, uh, I'd say, degradation, particularly in the big games, where we were once famed for our kind of pack front five it is now kind of falling further and further behind. And that's my fear in terms of expertise at Sandy Park as well, that we will get exposed just given our ball carriers and our physicality be missing there. But again, we'll wish John and, John and Chris all the best. Uh, Liam, before we leave you here, maybe we can have a little review of uh, the European Champions Cup. It's back, back with a bang. Just again, maybe a few kind of predictions for uh, this weekend. Maybe kind of one liner, two liner. Um, yeah, sure, sure. So we are kicking off uh, Friday night, 8 p.m. Connacht Leinster Sports Ground, Galway. Who who do you have here? 
Yeah, again, it, it, it depends on what kind of selection that, that Leinster go for. They have a bit more leeway, obviously, you know. But as we've seen, like, <laughs> Jimmy O'Brien will be there, probably Tommy O'Brien, you know. I still think Connacht have a big, big performance in them. This this has to be maybe their performance of the season. I think, you know, you cannot discount how big an influence Bundyaki is on this side as well, in terms of his leadership and his organisation there. Um, I would be kind of deciding with Leinster, just get over the line, like maybe plus five points. Um, I, I think... It just it won't be enough for Connacht in this game. Yeah, I'll probably go with you, but I think Connacht will provide an absolute sterling performance, a really sterling performance there to really, you know, get the home fans going. It's, you know, hopefully the weather is dry, dry track, because I think both sides demand it in terms of how they create attacking with. And I think the likes of Lon- Launchbury, Thornbury coming back in here, uh, Liam might be kind of a key one as well, along with Bundy. As you say, Bundy will be kind of a key cog there, particularly in the three quarters. But as long as uh, Connacht can kind of settle into the game, first 20, 30 minutes, not really do anything too unforced, error-wise, I think all we're asking for Connacht here is to stay in touch into the second leg. You know, tie is not over, but we need to kind of keep in with that seven points. I mean, just think of it as a pool game tried to get a loser bonus point within seven points, it, the tie is still alive. So for me, Leinster probably, I was very impressed by them, particularly in the second half when they really turned a screw on Munster. Munster had absolutely no response from a pack and pack perspective. So I think Leinster for me, but I think about seven to ten points, maybe being the final outcome, but I think Connacht will have their moments. On Saturday, <laughs> and this is becoming a bit of a grudge derby, uh, La Rochelle, Go to Bordeaux Begley's, and uh, I think you've probably seen the video, have you, Liam, of the Bordeaux Begley's coach and Rod having it out there last weekend? Yeah, yeah, he's not familiarity between content. Who do you fancy here? God Almighty, yeah. All the, all their their contests is going to be quite brutal, actually. Really, you know. And again, you're trying to figure out is the second leg going to be an advantage as well. I think La Rochelle actually to get like something like plus 15 points which should be a good kickstart for them going into the second leg so i would give them a good head start in this game well i'm just looking at context of last weekend and that league game if there isn't massive motivation at bordeaux begley's dressing room to put one over on ronald agara nothing will I think Bordeaux here will probably win this. It's going to be, I think, the classic French affair where the home side really will come out all guns blazing. I still think La Rochelle will be still in it, but I think maybe five, seven point win for Bordeaux Begles because they've shown enough for me, particularly in these pool stages, when uh, they're given good ball, good quick ruck ball, they can cause an awful lot of issues. So I think Bordeaux Begles, but I think La Rochelle overall two legs will probably have enough, but I think Intriguingly poised, I would think, if Bordeaux Beglis do win narrowly there because I think the two head coaches now, you know, they won't be on the Christmas card list of each other's families, really, I think, after last weekend. But, yeah, I think Bordeaux Beglis by five points. Then we probably go to Manchester, Sale Sharks, to be precise, against the Bristol Bears. Uh, who do you have on that one now, Lee? Yeah, well, this is going to be, again, a really open game, I have to say, you know. If you're looking for good free-flowing rugby, this is this is probably the game to be watching, actually. Sale Hall will have all their their big South Africans back, and 
can be absolutely spectacular at times, like like length of the pitch sort of efforts, you know. I would, sorry, plump for for sale a go like seven points this game. Yeah, I'll go with you on that because purely because I saw Bristol Bears against Northampton Saints last weekend in Franklin Gardens. After about 10 minutes, I thought, Jesus, Bristol Bears have this well in hand. Switched over 20 minutes later and they were 10 points down. And it's that unpredictability with the Bristol Bears, really, isn't it, Liam? That's kind of leaning towards Sale, particularly uh, in Manchester. I think Sale should win. But I think it'll probably be within five to seven points again. Probably a cagey enough affair to start off with, but then we'll open up. I do fancy probably Bristol Bears to win it over the two legs. But I think Bristol Bears have that ability to literally cut teams open. But they do have the Achilles heel of their own defensive uh, frailties as well. So, yeah, I think sale for me for five, seven points. Then we get to the first, uh, well, we get to the, the third Irish contingent here, uh, which would be Ulster Rugby. Again, they've had a tough South African tour. They've only kind of landed in back in Belfast, I think, on Monday. And they have a quick turnaround to face uh, reigning champions to lose. So, uh, Liam, uh, do you fancy Ulster here to do anything in the first leg? Oh, like, firstly, what a reward <laughs> for for being, like, the top seed in the, in the competition at the group stages. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I would say just even coming back from the South Africa trip and that context as well, I think it's 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 absolutely too loose all the way in this game, really. Ulster is, is more a case of keeping it tight until the second leg. But, um, yeah, I, I'd probably go, I don't know, something like close 10 points, 10 points for Toulouse. It was an absolute ball break of a draw that Ulster got. We mentioned last week how this actually permutation came about last week. You couldn't script it, Liam. In terms of Toulouse, I fancy Toulouse as being a top four. So I thought maybe for Ulster, they'd get someone a little bit lower in terms of the squad depth quality. But to get Toulouse, after Toulouse's game being called up by the Cardiff Blues, past, we're within three minutes of uh, <laughs> knocking Toulouse out on the Friday night, really, if we think about it. So I think Toulouse have an awful lot of a statement of intent here to literally go at tournament organisers. And unfortunately, Ulster could be that. And I think to be fair here, the turnaround, the jet lag, all the stuff in South Africa, may come back to really take its toll on Ulster here. I know it's all well and good to have the full touring party out there, get the team bonding, get some team performances, granted no wins, but I think this is a different animal here, Liam. To lose, I think, plus 15. And I think, unfortunately for Ulster, I think the second leg could be academic. I really do think so. And I think it's just pure rotten luck here on Ulster's part. We'd fancied them, you know, at the start of this podcast series, that this side would literally make... But I think this is a massively arduous fixture for them. And I think with the South African trip, I think you have to under, if you underestimate the whole travel aspect, the logistics of this, you're not really taking things into account. I think if Ulster get within 7 to 10 here, I think they'll be doing quite well. But I think with Antimac, DuPont, Six Nations, Grand Slam win, all that sort of stuff, my God, momentum's there for Toulouse. And I think they will provide maybe one of the marquee performances this weekend. And then we probably get to um, Exeter Munster here, Liam. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, we've been kind of uh, a little bit down in terms of Munster, but do we see the backs against the wall scenario happening here for Munster and getting a result? Well, you, you can't blame against us. Or, you know, certainly um, we, we've delivered so many times in the past, but it's just 
for me, I have this niggly feeling that um, things could, could go quite spectacularly wrong, you know, and it could be all over by the second leg. So again, it, it does depend on how we approach the game tactically and and our selection beforehand as well. Um, I would be going at this stage for Exeter. I would be going for plus 12 points. Well, that that would be pretty, insur- well, I wouldn't say insurmountable, but I think that would be definitely a, a big mountain to climb for Munster. I kind of with you in a certain respect. Exeter haven't really been pulling trees up in terms of Gallagher Premiership unexpectedly this season, but I still think this is a side who do love Europe and they're going to be building momentum here. I think it's all to do with the pack. They have a very talented half-back line. They do have Henry Slade at 13. They have threats throughout the pitch. And I think, to be perfectly honest, for Munster, how do we want to play this? I mean, do we want Exeter? If it's a pack battle, then I think we're a little bit in trouble. So do Munster change it up a little bit? in terms of uh, personnel changes, particularly at 10, 15. Are you brave enough maybe to put Healy and Carberry on the same side? That's kind of the conundrum that I think Johan van Graan and the management is having to deal with here. I think pack-wise, we're going to have our moments of crises, but I think there has to be a response to him after that 34-19 resp- uh, uh, loss against Leinster. There has to be. If not, then season spires out of control. Head coach could just leave at that stage. So I think Exeter will win. But I think it may be five points. I think it could be still manageable manageable going into Tone Park uh, on the Easter weekend. Because otherwise, I think, um, as I said, a few home truths have been told last weekend. I think, you know, unfortunately, maybe a few obituary notices might be kind of there for certain players if a similar result happens this weekend. So I think pressure's on the players. I think players will deliver a performance better than last weekend. But it won't be good enough to win, I don't think, against Exeter. Uh, Stafford say Wales United two the Parisian derby. Yeah, well, that's that's it's a it's a good contest there. I suppose Stad haven't really always delivered in Europe, really, have they? Like you know, for all the amazing talent they've had down through the years, uh, Racing, you know, Racing. Certainly, if you're talking about, if you're ever talking about an, an away leg advantage uh, in the second leg, Racing would be kind of the, you'd be thinking about. I would fancy Stad to win the first leg i give it something like um plus five points um uh, i think you know home advantage will just about swing it for him in this one yeah i think the form book goes out the window a little bit here particularly in this one just two Parisian sides Stafford say really looking to get back to the glory days i remember back in the 90s you know dominguez you know Stafford say the talent they had they really haven't kicked on, you know. There's been ownership kind of looking to create an identity in that football club. Hasn't really happened. Racing 92 are the kind of, you know, they are the team of Paris. But again, I think Stade Francais probably will win. But I think, yeah, all depends on Racing 92's mentality on this one. Um, they're fully capable of beating Stade. But again, Racing 92, it's how expansive they want to be in this match. If they become all out expansive. They may give Stad Francais opportunities to attack. I think Stad by three, but I think ultimately I think Racing 92 will probably win the two legs uh, there. But I think that probably for me is the most fascinating of the fixtures because I think if there is going to be a big, big shock here, I think it might be Stad Francais pulling the upset over Racing 92 and that's purely to do with local rivalry more so than squads here. 
Um, Montpellier, my favourite team against Harlequins uh, here, uh, Liam, given how Montpellier went in the pool stages. Uh, Harlequins kind of going pretty well in the Gallagher Premiership and European rugby. Who do you fancy? Yeah, um, well, Harlequins really, you could say, I know Ulster were, but like you, you could also say certainly Harlequins were also one of the four teams in the group stages. If I was tipping, like, in a way, Wayne, actually, funny enough, I think, I think yes, I would be going with, with, with Quinns this weekend, actually. So I'm going to be tipping them, you know, plus, plus seven points. Harlequins to win. Yeah, I think for me, an awful lot will depend on this Montpellier side. They've been very hot and cold in terms of this competition. But I think being a home tie, they may just throw on their first team and really test Quinns out. I think for me, this Montpellier side, particularly their pack, is still very formidable. If they have the first pack out, I think Harlequins could be in a spot of bother here. Maybe a five, seven point win to Montpellier. I think for me, uh, apart from Connacht, I think everyone else has been home win so far. I think it's going to go in that same vein. I think Montpellier, if they do take this game seriously, I think the stoop Montpellier may change it up a bit and put French players in uh, to maybe freshen things up a bit. But I think for me, Montpellier maybe by three to five points. And then finally, Clermont Auvergne uh, entertaining Leicester Tigers in the Michelin. Um, uh, who, who are we thinking here, uh, Lee? Well, you have to say the the Michelin Michelin. It's not quite the um, the fortress of old, is it? Really, it has to be said. So, um, yeah, Tigers have a have a have a big chance. They have such a a pack up front. They really do. This is probably for me one of the hardest games to call. Actually, funny enough, um, I would probably have to plump for Clermont and Damien Penno and do something spectacular. <laughs> to make the difference, so I go plus six for Clermont. Yeah, to me, I think this is probably the other fascinating tie of the weekend. I think others are kind of a little bit more conclusive. I think this one all depends on Clermont. Seen him against Sale Sharks uh, in the Champions Cup pool stages, and particularly at home, I thought they were quite fortunate to probably win. I mean, if they have that level of performance, I think Leicester Tigers win all day long. But I think uh, I think this could be. A pretty expansive game now, belying the fact that there's Leicester Tigers here in Claremont, two BT packs. But I think it's the last game of the the weekend, and I think players will be eager to impress. So I think it's a high scoring game. Uh, I think maybe Claremont by two to three points. But again, I would fancy Leicester overall in the two legs to get through. But I think these are fascinating matches here, Dean. I mean, the fact that this is the two legged affair, I mean, the mission this weekend for any team in the last 16 is. Keep in touch. That seven points is your magic number. If you're losing, lose within seven. Otherwise, you're on the massive heaps of pressure in the second leg. And if it's over 13, 14, I think you can probably forget about it, really, unless there's an absolute catastrophic collapse from your opponent, which is not likely because these sides coming in, the away sides are next week are going to be the lower seats. They've no pressure on them. It's all on the higher seeds then to literally get these results. So I think it's all poised for some fascinating games here, Liam. And uh, yeah, we'll probably uh, talk about that more at length uh, next weekend and see what the, the standout performances are. It's been a lengthy one here, Liam, but uh, I think we had plenty to get through, particularly on Munster Rugby, the state of Munster Rugby organisation, the URC, the contract news, the retirement of Dan Levy, and also our European Champions Cup uh, preview. Thank you, Liam, in terms of your inside contributions. And uh, 
hope to see you next weekend yeah always good man thank you for listening to this podcast episode if you liked what you heard in this podcast why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon Spotify YouTube or Twitter platforms you can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions articles and reports